The world's wind industry is gathering in Melbourne this August. Join them at the APAC Summit to discuss collaboration, market building and solving supply chain challenges in the expanding APAC market. Buy tickets at apacsummit2023.com.au. Hello listeners, Stuart Mullen here, the Chief Operating Officer at the Global Wind Energy Council and I'm pleased to present another podcast in the series of the APAC Offshore Wind and Green Hydrogen Summit which is taking place in Melbourne, Australia from the 29th to the 31st of August 2023 and today as part of the series, I have Ingen Svengor, the Senior Vice President, APAC Renewables and Country Manager Singapore for Equinor. Hi, Inga. Hello, hello. Good to be here. So, Ingen, can you tell me uh, a little bit about Equinor's interests in the APAC area? I think most people would be familiar with Equinor, maybe not in the renewable space. So, I don't know how global you want to start, and then maybe we can come back down into the APAC area. Excellent, happy to do so, and and uh, very much looking forward to to also attend uh, a conference in in Melbourne. So maybe we can start uh, a bit of of a, of a global context uh, when we are discussing Asia Pacific. So for us, Asia Pacific represents the next wave for our renewable portfolio. Uh, Equinor was an early mover in the offshore wind in the North Sea. Several bottom fix projects across the UK and Germany, um, including the world's largest offshore wind farm, Doggerbank, currently constructing in the, uh, in the late phase. Um, and then we, you can say that the second wave of projects are starting construct, uh, construction activities uh, in the next couple of years in, in the US and Poland. And Asia-Pacific is part of our third wave, if you like, projects that will start constructing in the second half of this decade and come on stream from just before or after uh, 2030. So that could feel like a, like a far a far off in the future, but the groundwork for, for those projects are happening now. Um, as an example, we have spent uh, four years uh, being able to access uh, a, a very meaningful portfolio of four gigawatts in the Korea and, and we're growing our team there in the same period to, to about the 60 people. Uh, so, so that is uh, uh, important uh, activities uh, going on now. Uh, but the strategy for, for, for Asia Pacific uh, is uh, to become a leader in the offshore wind in the region. And, and uh, we're basing that on, on three, three legs. Um, double down in Korea, as I said, to secure our footprint there. Uh, so we have access to the portfolio. We need to mature it and secure uh, by delivering on those projects, building supply chain and also um, uh, securing the permitting, um, de-risking the regulatory uh, and so on. And then the second pillar is more about growing and growing optionalities in a, in a region still early phase for offshore wind. We are focusing on Japan, Vietnam and Australia. Uh, but also monitoring other markets. For Australia, since we are here, we are working with our partner Oceanax on submitting a visibility mm -hmm. license for the Hunter region. And we are also working with Next Fair on a project in the Bass Strait north uh, of Tasmania. Uh, and then the third leg on the strategy is, is, um, is to go broader than offshore wind. So we, we are exploring that for our selected markets. Uh, of course, Equinor is a broad energy provider. A significant producer of oil and gas with a material trading position in Asia Pacific. And we are also exploring opportunities for delivering low carbon energy in the form of hydrogen and ammonia uh, in Asia and, uh, and Australia. So 
We believe that our position as a growth energy company means that we can provide uh, partners, governments, and, and other businesses with a more holistic offering than many of our um, of our competitors. That's fantastic. So for us, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just, uh, I mean, you, your whole background or the Equinor's whole footprint, the whole idea of developing, you know, being an international developer that's learnt and been in offshore wind for such a long time and then transferring those, that knowledge and actually utilising that knowledge to unlock uh, new markets. And I noticed with interest that you've mentioned a couple of areas with uh, that are going to be probably more floating offshore wind as well. Uh, I, I guess, you know, with the people are expecting to see Korea to be floating and the uh, the, the uh, Hunter Valley in Australia could possibly potentially be floating offshore wind as well, I guess. And I know that uh, Equinor was involved in some of the very early floating projects in the North Sea as well. Uh, is that something that you guys are looking at or do, do you care if it's fixed bottom or floating? Do you have a, uh, do you have a preference there or is it just pure... Uh, market by market we need to offer what the market needs uh, but I think uh, the, the um, unique value proposition for us to focus on Asia Pacific is that uh, Asia Pacific will uh, um, uh, we I mean off the wind will play a significant role we believe in in, in Asia Pacific and also just by looking at the Sea level uh, floating uh, offshore wind will will be an important solution. So I think that's that end game is what attracts us. That, that end game is is what we believe is uh, is um, uh, where we can have something to offer. Sure. And uh, and um, but there there are many other things in terms of the opportunity space for for Asia Pacific. But I think that that is one of um, uh, we have a long experience with floating wind. We tested it with hybrid demo uh, concept. That's 10, yep. 15 years back. Yep. We proved it with uh, the Highway Scotland project in 2017. That's been in operation for five, six years now and with very strong performance. And we are scaling it now with Highway Tampen, uh, where we, that's, uh, that's um, in offshore Norway uh, and connecting it to the oil and gas installation there. That's also... Uh, that wind farm will open in, in August and it's already producing. So, so uh, we see Asia Pacific as an extremely interesting um, area for that technology and our next large-scale floating wind development will potentially be here in this region uh, with the Bandabuli Firefall project we have in, in South Korea. Uh, and this is, a, this is the next step to bring floating wind from Kind of the megawatt scale today to the gigawatt scale that we need and and the, we see the same potential for australia sure and so coming back to your uh you mentioned that you will also look to produce hydrogen and ammonia do you see that production coming directly from offshore wind is that the best form of uh generation for the electrolyzers or do you see that being combined or are they is that are you treating these separately how's what's your view on that is there a big crossover for offshore wind we hear a little bit about some of this uh over capacity like you know allowing developers to build more turbines at a particular project and use some of that uh curtailed capacity or over capacity to produce hydrogen is that part of the strategy for equinor or can you share some insight into that again on the markets. I think this, this is why we need to be close to the markets. Uh, we need to develop uh, these projects uh, linked to fit the markets we are, we are producing in. Uh, uh, and 
uh, hydrogen uh, ammonia can be uh, um, uh, can be uh, obviously a very interesting offtake for for offshore wind as well. Uh, but we don't. Uh, but we, that, this will we, this will be uh, for market to market, and some markets this is more relevant for them than others. So it's, I think it's too early to say that in this sure. market that's our uptake strategy. But uh, it is will also be uh, a journey. In some markets it's too early to say, but we are seeing how fast this can develop in in Europe, and we'll be, of course, prepared to to uh, to to look at those uptake options. And and there is. That's also the beauty of the broad energy offering. Uh, we can also uh, be an early participant in that in that uh, market by also offering uh, blue hydrogen and, and ammonia um, exported from uh, from other markets as well. Okay. Uh, just from a personal perspective, when I was at uh, MHI Vestas, uh, we spent the last part of my career there. I always spent some time looking at can we produce. Uh, hydrogen at the turbine or do we do it at the substation or do we uh, have DC cabling back to land and what's the economics in that? Does Equinor have a position about uh, where is the best place to produce hydrogen from from, uh, wind? Is it at the turbine, at the substation or back on land? I'm happy to connect you with our hydrogen team in in Equinor to kind of explore that uh, more. I I think, again, it will be... uh, to some extent, a tech tech dream to see what what will actually work to optimize uh, uh, the the flow of, of electrons. Uh, uh, but I do think it will very much depend on on the markets as well to see to see what makes sense um, uh, and the distances, of course. So if we look at some of the opportunities and challenges in the APAC area. What is it that you're most optimistic about and where do you see some attention that we need to put into, uh, yeah, that we need to focus on now? Yeah, so so I think in terms of the opportunities, let's, let's start there. I think geography is obviously on our side in Asia, um, long coastlines uh, with high population density. So you have a the close proximity between, uh, between the, 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 um, the demand and, and supply. Um, I, I think also what attracts us to this region um, is the supply chain capabilities already here. Uh, we see a very good fit for the existing supply chains in countries like uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, China, uh, Korea, and more. And, and we will create new, well-paid uh, uh, green jobs uh, in 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 this region. Um, of course, offshore wind will also, for many markets, uh, offer energy security uh, that will be extremely important, um, and then uh, obviously help the decarbonisation and, and renewable. The energy transition in Asia will will have a very very high impact uh, on the overall decarbonisation that we we need to do uh, globally, um, and then. Offshore wind can also be a way to bring uh, zero carbon energy into the energy system fairly quickly um, to provide more energy in markets that are are growing quickly. So here you again see energy transition in addition to a, a growing growing market. And we talked about the floating um, the floating technology and the opportunities uh, for really going big uh, in a shape in Asia to industrialize uh, uh, that. Um, uh, and that technology, and that is due to higher water depths, um, 
and uh, and also the further, further offshore you are, uh, the more stable wind uh, we will get and less coexistence issues for, for with, uh, with other industries. So we are building Bundabuli now with our floating concept Wind Semi, which is tailored for the environmental condition and supply chain um, in Asia Pacific. So I think that's also where we are adjusting our technology also to fit for, for the opportunities uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Asia Pacific. Pacific. Uh, in terms of the obstacles, there are plenty as well, uh, and, and uh, we, all, we, we, we see obviously the global obstacles for offshore wind uh, with, with the supply chain um, challenges that we see now. But I think Asia Pacific is, is, is still very early uh, on this journey, uh, and uh, what we need to overcome the obstacles is that we need scale and ambition. We, the key to cost reduction is, is, uh, is scale. Uh, and we need the uh, ambition governments that we see now in Australia that uh, want big projects, uh, supporting it with high ambition and potential support mechanism. We need the gigawatts, not the megawatts. And we need, um, that I think this is starting to emerge in Asia Pacific and Australia, uh, is one of the leaders with a good pipeline of license uh, processes, but important to keep this on track. And I think that's... Uh, so that's one 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 thing we are looking for is is uh, when when we are uh, uh, assessing markets, and then of course we need the execution speed and grid capacity. Governments have to translate those ambitions into grid investments, efficient uh, and predictable permitting and consenting, and we need to talk. We need to get this down from years to to more months and a few years. Uh, not, now we are talking about decades, and that's not uh, sustainable. Uh, and then uh, we need a value chain ready for industrialization. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges we see now globally. Uh, but uh, one of the attractiveness of Asia Pacific is, is, uh, is regional and local uh, supply chain. Uh, but we need that to grow fast enough to follow the speed of, uh, of developers and governments to, to be able to match uh, the capacity when, uh, uh, when we need it. Uh, so, so that's um, we, and that's also where we, we where we see our strengths so with our long history of working with many of the yards and industrial conglomerates uh, for oil and gas uh, business. We believe that we are very well placed to to do that together uh, with the existing uh, supply chain, and that we can. We think there is a big opportunities for industrial companies to get another leg to stand on uh, with offshore wind. I think that you have pretty much summed up what we're all of the themes that we're going to be speaking about at the conference. Uh, we we definitely see the the challenge of the supply chain, and we are looking very much forward to having conversations with a variety of governments in terms of how do we actually deal with some of the supply chain challenges. And you know, I know Equinor is a huge company and you have a lot of purchasing power within, you know, for, on a global basis. So I presume that getting access to vessels and capacity in factories from uh, the turbine manufacturers is, you know, something that you guys are confident that you can uh, cope with no matter where it is in the, in the world. But, you know, when we look at the APAC region in our latest global wind report, we see very quickly that... Uh, as we move towards the back end of the 20s and into the early 2030s, that there is potentially a challenge with 
getting the getting the capacity we need in market. So we're we're also hoping that at this particular conference we can you know get out get the supply chain and developers and governments on the same page. So we as an industry can actually say, okay, this is what needs to be done, and we need to do it now. We need to send the clear investment signals. Uh, you mentioned also about the volume targets, which we're starting to see, and that Australia uh, is starting to emerge as a, a, a market of interest when they're starting to come with gigawatts. We, I guess one of the questions then for you guys is that you know, at the moment, it's only Victor- the Victorian state government that has set fixed targets, but you know we've got there's an open feasibility process in New South Wales at the moment. The federal government's come with decarbonisation targets. Do you do you specifically need, or does it is it helpful for a company like Equinor for governments to set an actual number on the gigawatts that they're looking to achieve, or does it do you just need those signals there, like a decarbonisation target, and then you can work out the detail on what that means in terms of volume? How, how do you interpret these sort of signals? Yeah, but we yeah we need definitely more than numbers. We need more than ambitions. We need the actions that follows the sure. ambitions. So I think what we are looking for is yeah we need to start with an ambition, but and you need to start with that the market fundamentals works for offshore wind. Um, the actions followed uh, by the ambitions. Um, uh, so, so, uh, so we need to to see actions when it comes to regulations, um, predictability on regulations. Do you risking that part is extremely important that follows the ambition and also uh, grid investments plans where that is necessary. Uh, um, that's another action that needs to follow uh, an ambition. Um, and then we need to, uh, and then predictability is key when you're talking about investment that will. That will last for, or that will be paid back in in, in several decades. Sure. You need uh, to have a predictability in the re- regulation that are um, uh, investment friendly, to to put it that way. And so, so it's a it's a lot of things we're looking at, but but uh, uh, those are things that not only attracts developers and companies like us, but also attracts the supply chain to also make their investment to be able to um, to to. Uh, to grow at, the, at this efficient uh, speed. And so when we come to Melbourne in a few weeks' time, what are some of the conversations and that you'd be looking to have uh, with government and with industry and in the corridors? What, what are some of the topics that you'd like to discuss? I know, I know that you, you've rattled off a whole lot of challenges and opportunities which we'll hopefully deal with, but is there anything else that you'd specifically like to uh, put a focus on? I think we touched upon what uh, what will be the topics, and there are plenty uh, plenty there. I think the key reason why uh, we look forward to attend such a conference is is uh, is to meet uh, meet all of the people uh, because these challenges that I raised when it comes to when it comes to um, uh, the scale and ambition, when it comes to permitting, when it comes to supply chain, also coexistence. With other industries, those are challenges that no company can do alone, or no institution can do alone. Those challenges we have to solve together. Um, so uh, one of the slogans of, of Equinor is to get there together, and it feels very meaningful uh, when it comes to developing offshore wind uh, in a new region. You really need to have a strong collaboration between. Uh, the developers, the governments, the uh, coexisting industries. 
the society as whole to get an acceptance uh, and also uh, the supply chain. So there, so so that's why it's very meaningful to meet at the conference like this uh, to be able to have those conversations together um, uh, with all those uh, parties that need to to build renewables and offshore wind in Asia Pacific. Uh, well, indeed, and we look forward to being able to greet you in Melbourne and have start these some of these conversations. So thanks very much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you in Melbourne.